podcast. That is a Philadelphia tradition going back to 1779. We should play a game. Who said it? Kanye West or Thomas Page? <laughs> and this was immediately hooted down. That's on the listeners to figure out. Getting back to slightly on topic. Seize the means of podcasting yes. and then seize the means of production. The scab buster. Oh no, it is a small world after all. Keep together strong. Let that be your mantra. Hello. Welcome to the Labor John Podcast, where we stake a claim under the mistletoe of the working class history of Philadelphia and the surrounding world. My name is Samta James Claus. I'm the co-host of this little program we have, and I'm joined today by... I'm a Jew. (laughs) (laughs) And my name's Gabe Christie. (laughs) Ah. No one knew that, Gabe. No. You're telling a lot of people are learning a lot about you right now. Yep. Does that have anything to do with our story that we're going to be telling them today? Weirdly, it actually does in a very... Okay. (laughs) In a very tangential way. Uh, All right. So, well, well, go on. Gabe, I was just going to ask you, what are we going to learn about today? And I was going to ask you... You like bread, right? I love bread. I would eat bread all fucking day if I could. I totally agree. And I love bread too. But weirdly, bread has to be baked. And then I'm familiar with the concept. Yes. Usually baked by people. All right. And those people, for some reason, like to be paid for their labor. All right. I appreciate you holding our hands through this as well. I'm. I'm making sure everyone understands where we're coming from here. Okay. Um, And in 1946, 1,883 bakers in Philly went on strike for wages, hours, and conditions. Or wages, hours, and benefits. All right. Uh, And that's uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. The 1946 bakers strike. Or it was either referred to as either the bakers strike or the bread strike, which... The, the papers never quite decided on what they were going to call it. Um, I, either or, I guess. Yeah. What would you like to call it, Gabe? Because we have to name this fucking episode. Uh, I'm going to say Baker Strike. I like it. It, it. The bread wasn't on strike. I was thinking so, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, anyway. Uh, so bread baking was a very important industry in Philly. Uh, mm. And especially we have to take a step back to the 1940s, the, the quaint old, good old days, uh, when your bread was, mo- was produced much more locally um, and then delivered to your local grocer or uh, whatever store you were buying your groceries from. Uh, sometimes it would just be delivered to like small bakery retail or baker uh, bakery retails or the bakeries themselves would have a retail store like out front of the bakery that you could sure. go to. Yeah. Um, so uh, a lot, all of the bread production was much more local. Uh, there were a number of bakeries in Philly. Uh, in total, they produced about 1.5 million loaves of bread every day. Oh my God. Uh huh. That's a lot of bread, man. Yeah. Uh, and that fed about uh, 4 million people in the greater Philly area. So that wasn't just like the population of Philly at the time wasn't 4 million, but this fed basically all of southeastern Pennsylvania. Wow. Uh-huh. Because um, in addition to this, there were hundreds or actually, there were thousands of uh, or over 1,000 delivery drivers that would every day go into Philly, pick up bread, ship it out to all the grocers in the surrounding counties. Uh, Yeah, so Philly Philly and Norristown were two major bread producers in the region. Bread hubs. Bread hubs, yeah. Uh, And now conditions in these bakeries were not great. Uh, Oh, man. Yeah, because, I mean, conditions in any industrial food plant aren't necessarily great because you're dealing with massive industrial equipment uh especially with bakeries you're dealing with very high heat yeah uh and the work was almost 24 7 so uh they were working on a uh, six-hour day schedule 
Uh, and it's, the men were making 84 cents an hour, which okay. according to amortization.org uh, is about $13.69. Mm. Uh, and then the women made 56 cents an hour. Oh, so for the exact same job, Gabe. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's okay. Yep. That's, that's, that's okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. And there's no long lasting ramifications of this whatsoever. <laughs> uh, we solved all these problems. Uh, but 56 cents an hour is the equivalent of $9 and 13 cents a day. God damn, man. Yep. God damn. Uh, so at least uh, around 2,000 of these bake of the bakery workers um, were members of the Bakery and Confectioners International Union Local Number no. Six, uh, which is an AFL affiliate. All right. Um, and they had a contract that was set to expire on July 31st, 1946. Um, and they had set out a demand of a 30 cent raise or 30 cent per hour raise, which is about $4.89. Uh, and this would be across the board for all of the workers. The women too? Yep. That's surprising, Gabe. That's surprising. Uh, me. Yeah. Well, this it's while bakery and confectioners weren't CIO, this was still in that period of the post-war period where everybody was just making big demands for everything. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I think there was probably some, uh, not CIA, not CIA. CIA. <laughs> CIA. Oh my God. No, I mean, help us. Uh, CIO influence uh, yeah. <laughs> in that, like uh, you'd have, it's kind of that theory that like when you have competition between different unions, they end up fighting harder for their workers. If that makes oh, sense. Yeah, I guess competition. Yeah. Competition is good all the time. Always. Yes. Should always be in a competition. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the, uh, right before or earlier in 46, before this, uh, before, contract negotiations came up and before the contract was set to expire uh there had been massive grain shortages All right. and so what ended up happening is that there was an increase in bread prices and a decrease in bread production hmm. so the uh, the workers in these factories had their hours cut which meant they were making less money yeah and then uh the prices for the bread that they were making were, and also like eating, uh, went up. So they were, the bakers specifically were getting hit twice yeah. uh, with the bread inflation. Um, and it was estimated they lost between 15 to $30 a week. Wow. Uh, in lost wages during the, uh, or when hours were, uh, reduced. Um, and and then prices kept going up. And yeah. additionally, they started noticing that the bakery owners had been getting bonuses and were <laughs> talking about record profits <laughs> while all of their workers nothing were getting changes, hours man. It's almost a hundred years yep. later and nothing changes. Yeah. No, it like the same especially coming right off of the UAW strike, like this is the same shit that they were complaining about. Same shit. Uh, so sub like suppressing our anger for a second, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, on July 27th, uh, the bakery workers, uh, voted to authorize a strike if negotiations stalled out by the time that the contract expired on the 31st. Okay. Uh, that passed with a vote of 1,459 out of 1,510, which is a 96% yes vote. All right. Uh, so the public started to get worried about a sudden bread strike because they, they didn't want to see more inflation, uh, which is fair. Like the bread prices were already high. They yeah. knew that if there was a bread strike, 
uh, prices are just going to get higher. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and with really only like three days notice, people didn't have time to plan for it. Yeah. Um, so the union recognized that. Uh, and when the strike deadline rolled around on August 1st, the union voted to postpone the strike by a week. Okay. Um, yeah. That's nice. And, and while all of that was going on, there was also a potential strike of 8,000 Camd- Campbell's workers in Camden, and then Teamsters and warehouse workers in the food delivery business were also possibly going to go on strike, okay. all within like a week of each other. So, damn. Yeah, Philly was just like, oh, we're just going to starve if all of this happens. Uh, and that's, I mean, they are taking away the bread and soup. I mean, Panera's yeah. fucked. Yeah, seriously. Uh, and you can't even order GoPuff because the delivery drivers are on strike. So <laughs> it was rough. Um, but the so the union recognized, like, okay, we're going to lose public support almost immediately if all of these things happen at the same time. They delayed it for a week, gave people time to prepare. Um, and now we'll... Pass. I guess so. But also, I mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I mean, mm-hmm. also, it might also be smart to do it at the same time, you know, as an, as an, as a tactic. Yeah. As an the, attack, you know, but, but I mean, they have to look after, I mean, these are the, these people's families they're talking about too. So it makes sense to wait a week. Yeah. It's, you have to gauge whether or not or how long you're going to keep that public support. Yeah. And there, it, it, I mean, po- immediately post-war, they that's probably, true. There was, I think if there hadn't already been the inflation in bread prices, they probably could have gotten away with it, but people were already kind of skittish. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. We're armchair yeah, unionizing I, from yeah. <laughs> 80 years later. It's, so. That's that's the only thing we do here, Gabe. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, but uh, the... Okay, so... Fast forward to August 8th, uh, second strike deadline came up, but in a last ditch attempt to avoid any kind of major upset, uh, federal negotiators stepped in and called a meeting at 11 a.m. in the Widener building uh, on Chestnut Street, okay. which is still there. Yeah. Um, the And actually, I think it has a subway on the first floor, ironically, because they have a lot of bread everything's connected to bread (laughs) (laughs) so that uh the meetings though didn't actually go anywhere uh neither side gave any concessions so they they had two uh uh, negotiation meetings facilitated by federal negotiators nothing happened Mm -hmm. so by august 10th the uh, bakery bosses had offered 16 cents an hour, which is about $2 and 60 cents. All right. Uh, the union was sticking to their demand of 30 cents an hour, uh, for raises. And by 5 PM on August 10th, the strike was on because nothing had actually changed. Uh, even with government mediators there. Yep. You think if someone would be able to get something done, it's the government. Yeah, clearly they're great at that. (laughs) Uh, so, uh, 1,883 bakery workers went out on strike, shutting down 13 production facilities, uh, for eight different bakery companies. Wow. They were Freihofer, General, Fleischmann, Parkway, and Mies. Uh, those five were all in Philly. And then they had Spalding, Showman Brothers, and Continental in Norristown. All right. Uh, don't know if any of them are still around. I wasn't. That was going to be my that. next question. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I feel like there's like some small bakery in Norristown that still exists from this. Probably. I feel like General General Bakery seems like it's because uh, General and Continental had uh, production facilities in other cities, so I feel like they've probably gotten bought up by like. Oh, I'm Unilever. sure. 
So about ten times of, over. Yeah, all of these companies are owned by Halliburton at this point. So <laughs> uh, Halliburton slash General Mills. Yeah. Uh, so this uh, the strike immediately halted the production of two thirds of the city's bread supply. All right. One million loaves of the one point five million that were produced every day. Wow. Uh, bakeries, uh, the bakery owners sent their representatives or lobbyists down to Washington <laughs> uh, to ask for an intervention on their behalf. Um, then there were also some concerns from the public that the ingredients were going to spoil uh, during the strike because that was what had caused the bread shortage or the grain shortage was uh, grain crops spoiling in the field. Okay. So everyone was freaked out that all of the flour was going to rot. Um, and the, so the bakery companies had to put out all of these like press releases saying like, no, we have refrigeration for everything. It'll be yeah. fine. Don't worry. Uh, cause people were legit freaking out about it. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, then, like you're not going to get it anyway though. Yeah. Like, I mean, then, what are you worried about? Yeah. Uh, then, uh, uh, and as part of their strike declaration, the union also offered out an olive branch to the company and uh, had their rock bottom rate of a 20 cent per hour raise uh, as a way to just kind of like bridge the gap between 16 cents and 30. Um, Not exactly the middle ground, but okay. No, like they, they were willing to take a pretty yeah. severe cut. Uh, yeah. in order to reach an agreement and avoid a strike. Um, but again, the baking companies uh, refused and said that they're sticking to 16 cents an hour as their <laughs> final offer. Jesus, God. Uh, so retail stores began informally rationing the amount of bread that customers could purchase. <laughs> um, and oh. basically every day, every grocer ran out of bread by noon. So you, you'd have to get there like really early in the morning and you were only ever allowed to purchase one loaf. That's giving me some 2020 vibes, man. Uh-huh. I don't like it. Yeah. So yeah, imagine like 2020 toilet paper, but for bread. But for <laughs> <laughs> same thing. Yeah. They're interchangeable in my household. I'm you still, you still okay, there, Gabe? You let's, still there? Let's, let's, we're going to roll <laughs> right past that. Uh, roll right past that. More bread puns. <laughs> I like it. Slice. Uh, and toilet paper puns. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and the episode there ain't going to get yep. any better than that. Nope. We you just did a double pun, my friend. Um, okay. So the union's business manager, Raymond Bowling, uh, offered to negotiate with all of the firms individually so that they could reach resolutions more quickly. Uh, okay. But the lawyer who was hired by all eight firms together oh, no. uh, stated that any decision made by any single firm would necessarily affect all of the other firms. And therefore they would all negotiate as a single block. So, I mean, despite my feelings towards lawyers, that's kind of a fair point. Yeah. Because it's, because uh, it's the same union for every single company. So, I mean, I guess, I guess I, I, you know. Yeah. It's the capitalist solidarity. So. <laughs> you don't have to put it like that. Yeah. I mean, it's what it is though. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. That they, both sides were negotiating as a block. Um, the, uh, oh yeah. So bowling also noted that, the two firms general and continental had production facilities in other cities. And that that was probably why they were so adamant about sticking to the 16 cent per hour raise. Yeah. Uh, Cause they knew that if they offered a 30 cent raise in Philly, every other city that they were in was going to start demanding a 30 cent raise. Sure. Sure. And so they were terrified about that. <laughs> um, and so they, uh, his theory was that General and Continental were probably pushing to keep all of the other 
yeah. uh, firms in line to make sure that they could keep their uh, labor costs down. Yeah. Um, the uh, bakery delivery drivers were also affected by the strike. Like I had mentioned, there were 1,600 members of the food driver salesman's local 463, uh, which would be out of work during the strike. Uh, but 1,100 workers at the smaller and the kosher bakeries around the city wouldn't be affected. Huh. Uh, which is where the tie-in to me being Jewish comes from. Hey! Uh, happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah, everybody. Um, what's, the, what's the Jewish version of mistletoe, Gabe? Uh, is it gefilte fish? Do you hang up a gefilte yeah, fish? Okay. We, we do. We hang gefilte fish from the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a great tradition, but it's a tradition. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Uh, the, uh, but basically all of the delivery drivers independently, uh, all of the delivery driver unions independently declared that none of their workers would cross the picket line. Okay. So Good. even if they like brought in scabs or reopened production, none of the delivery drivers were willing to nice. uh, cross that line. Um, then, uh, there was, however, some bread being imported from Newark. Uh, but it was nowhere, Newark, New Jersey, uh, but it was nowhere near enough to supply the whole city's demands. Um, now, second day of the strike, people started to panic, uh, and there was a run on groceries, or on grocers and basically any store that was selling bread. Um, and then to make matters worse, hospitals brought up the fact that they were starting to run out of bread to feed their patients and staff. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, there was a mental health hospital in Philly that had 6,500 patients and 250 staff. Uh, and bread was a major part of the diet fed to both the patients and made available to the staff. Uh, and so the president of that hospital was like, hey, uh, we're going to have 6,500 people starving really soon. Uh, we need to fix that. Um, so he wrote to, he made a direct appeal to Sophia M.R. O'Hara, who was the Secretary of Welfare uh, for the state uh, in Harrisburg. And she organized production of 3,200 loaves by a bakery in Harrisburg hmm. uh, that was unaffected by the strike. Um, and uh, those would get shipped to the hospital uh, every day. Then uh, for the first or the second day of the strike, a local department store also donated 3,000 loaves that they had available. Okay. I'm happy uh, about that. I'm happy that these people got fed. That being yeah. said, are these scab loaves? No. No? The, uh, and this will also come up in a little bit, um, but the, uh, none of these loaves were being produced by companies affected by the strike. Okay. So as long as it's, okay. All right. Yeah. Cool. Um, and uh, I didn't however, think I'd have to utter the word scab loaves in this program, but here yeah. we are. No, it was, it was a legit concern. Uh, the weird part of it, though, is they did contract with a state <laughs> penitentiary to okay. produce bread for them. Uh, so it wasn't scab loaves, but it was prison labor loaves. Uh, so <laughs> do, you can't, there's, there's no way to win. Um, All right. We'll just let it go. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, but the union actually stated that they would allow their members to go find jobs at smaller bakeries that weren't affected by the strike. Um, and that they would work on a 24 hour rotating schedule uh, to fill the gap in supply uh, to supply or so that they could make sure all of the hospitals were getting all of the bread that they needed. Because those, nice. those 3,200 loaves were only for that one mental health hospital. Yeah. Uh, God, the, the amount of bread. I know. I mean, even these uh, days, you see the amount of bread that's on a store shelf and you're like, they pack those every single day or every other mm -hmm. day, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's not that crazy to think about. 
Yeah. Um, and this was like a mix of sandwich bread, like what we would today probably call like an Italian loaf or something like that. And the, at least looking at the pictures, it was a really wide array of loaf styles. Um, so it wasn't just like wonder bread. <laughs> um, the, uh, I don't think was, people would be too upset about the missing wonder bread. Yeah. I mean, they could just eat styrofoam and have about <laughs> the same nutritional value. Just eat raw yeast. You're good. Yeah. Um, and there was also a whole thing of like smaller, uh, bakery or not smaller bakeries, but chain restaurants had their own bread production facilities no, so that they could they serve did. dinner rolls. Uh, but then smaller independent restaurants were having to like bake dinner rolls in their, in their kitchen ovens yeah. that normally weren't set up for it. It was like the entire city, basically, do you remember the sourdough craze that happened at the beginning of COVID? Yes. It was that. Like, Everybody was just making bread. Yeah. Does collectively, that... collectively, the human existence in the early part of 2020 was dying from COVID and making bread. Yeah. Sometimes at the same time. And, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and that's basically what, uh, what happened in Philly too. Aside, they, they weren't dying from a plague, but um, the whole city just kind of learned how to make bread over the course of a week. Um, that's kind of cool. Yeah. And there were uh, a couple of pictures of uh, women who were on strike and then at home were uh, making their own bread. Because uh, they were, I mean, if you work in a bakery, you at least have some sense of how to make bread. Um, yeah. And so they were just like, well, we can supply ourselves. We don't nice. need the bakeries. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but by noon on August 13th, uh, basically all of the grocery shelves in, uh, the city were devoid of any bread mm -hmm. and it was declared that there was a bread famine in the yep. city. Oh no. Uh, so federal negotiators, when asked about whether or not anyone had like come down to start negotiations with them because supposedly the companies had sent down their uh, representatives to talk to the federal negotiators. Uh, they stated that no one had showed up at any of their offices in DC. Okay. So it's unclear where those company representatives ended up. I'm assuming <laughs> they probably went to the legislature and were trying to get some kind of, injunction passed against the union yeah uh rather than going to it's the it was like the federal conciliation service oh would, yeah. all right uh that was the negotiating party that or the negotiators that were involved in this um the uh then on the third day of the strike negotiators finally got involved uh and but not at the request of the company, they got involved because they recognized that there was public pressure for them to be there, yeah, because there was a bread famine, yeah, there's a problem going on, okay. Uh, so they set a meeting at 10 30 a.m. again at the Widener building, uh, with the hope that union and bakery owners would be able to come to some kind of actual agreement. Uh, bowling the business or the business manager for the union said that he was more than willing to meet with the bosses and negotiate in good faith. But so far he hadn't seen any movement in either direction and the ball was in the bakery owner's court. Uh, and they didn't seem to be making any gestures towards actual negotiating. All right. So you remember when you're talking about how it's the same shit? Yeah. Game. Yep. I'm used to it, but it, it doesn't yeah. make it any less, you know. Yeah. Frustrating. It, doesn't yeah. make it any less frustrating. The uh what's 
the quote from uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Uh, I didn't have any expectations and I'm still disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you can at least come to the table and be like, no. Yeah. You know, at least show up. Yeah. I mean, you can at least show that you actually care for the people of the city. Mm -hmm. Like who are starving right now. Who are going to be starving rather. Yeah. Or are trying to figure out how to bake bread at home. And yeah. And, as we all know from the beginning of 2020, uh, th- that doesn't necessarily go well. No, not really. Uh, take some <clears> practice. But also, yeah. like, the, the company heads are probably like, shit, they're learning to make their own bread. That's a fair point. Like, they should they should probably end the strike right now. Yeah. You know? They've learned too much. <laughs> so, on the 13th, uh, workers were paid out their last wages from before the strike. Uh, and they, at least from the photos that, uh, were in the paper, they were all gathering at the pay window, uh, of the bakeries while still wearing their picket signs. So they basically like walked (laughs) off the picket line, grabbed their cash from the boss and went straight back onto the picket. line. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, no, it was pretty great. Um, the, so that meant the workers could survive a little bit longer. Um, but they, uh, that also meant that now they didn't have anything to fall back on. So this was their last dispensation, uh, and the union hadn't opened up the strike fund yet. Okay. Um, cause they were hoping that it would get resolved before that was necessary. Um, now the naval base in Philly, what, uh, the we have the Philly Navy Yard. I know uh, we have that game. Well, at the time it was like an actual naval base. Yeah. Uh, and the they had their own bakery at 12th and Mifflin Street. Ah, uh, all right. Uh, it shut down production on Monday the 12th, the second day of the strike. Why? Uh, that had been like pre-planned. <laughs> um. And because they, <laughs> someone in Naval Command was like, yeah, we don't need this facility anymore. Uh, World War II is over. We're discharging everybody. It's fine. We can just buy it on the open market. Uh, so they closed down the plant and then the strike happened. <laughs> uh, and so the next day they said, hey, we're going to reopen the plant. Hey, uh, okay. And so the Naval Base uh, started to supply itself with uh, 600 loaves every day, um, which it wasn't available to anyone outside of the Naval base. Yeah. It at least meant that there was less pressure on the already like very struggling market. Um, the, so there, uh, there was a second meeting because that the first meeting on the 13th never really materialized. So there was a second meeting. Yeah, there was no meeting. Yeah. There was a second meeting scheduled for the 14th. That got delayed until 2 p.m. Uh, it was originally supposed to be at 10 a.m. Delayed till 2. Then three of the bakery firms, in the meantime, before going to this meeting, uh, went to the court and sought an injunction um, trying to sue the union into submission. Okay. So Freihofer... Parkway and Stroman Brothers all sued Local Six, its officers, and all of its members. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, claiming that the strike was issued without authorization by the International Union. Uh, they never explicitly called it a wildcat strike, uh, but that's basically what they were saying it was. Um, they said the strike was in violation of their contract which prohibited strikes while the contract was still in effect. Uh, And they said that the contract couldn't be terminated except with the approval of the international union, which never officially terminated it. Hmm. So even though the contract expired on July 31st, they were saying because they never received notification from the international union that it had expired, it was still in effect and therefore they couldn't strike. 
which uh, yeah I, I mean to me it's bullshit yeah it's it's just it's it's legal mumbo like, jumbo yeah and the the goal here wasn't even to win the suit it was just to tie the union up and yeah time up the, the course yeah yeah um oh they also said that there was never a meeting held by the union local to discuss the offers that were made by management, uh, the 16 cent an hour raise, um, which meant that the negotiating committee's refusal to accept the offer wasn't valid. Cause they didn't bring that back to the rank and file. Is that yeah. what they're saying? Okay. But that negotiating committees exist basically to filter out yes. offers like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it was another think, yeah, like, <laughs> bullshit claim there. Yeah, it's another bullshit claim. It's more just random mumbo jumbo. Yeah. You're just trying to throw um, shit out. So, but luckily, uh, they brought that to Judge Joseph Sloan. Uh, and luckily, he uh, at least wasn't automatically willing to crush the union under the iron boot of the courts. <laughs> um, so... That's such a uh, low bar. Yeah, I know. Like, I was very surprised at uh, how good this guy was. Um, he, uh, so he said that he wouldn't act until the conciliation committee's efforts to end the strike peacefully were exhausted. All right. So he was willing to let the federal negotiators take the lead. Yeah. Uh, and like actually let whatever process exists, run its course first. And then I like that. All right. Yeah. I'm surprised. I know. Um, so that all happened in like the morning and early afternoon of the 14th, 2 PM on the 14th. They did have that meeting in the Widener building. Finally, uh, federal mediators stepped in, um, and, uh, started to actually oversee negotiations and try and push everyone towards an actual, uh, agreement. Um, they suggested or on the 16th federal mediators suggested, uh, four points. The first, the strike had to be immediately terminated. Uh, then within right. 20, yeah. Within 24 hours of this, the companies would provide the union with a proposal covering all points of dispute, um, which were an increase in wages, uh, a decrease in hours from a six to a five day work week, uh, and then also a uh, the union was asking for a five cent uh, per hour bonus for night shift work. All right. Um, that's fair. Yeah. So after those 24 hours, uh, and the company providing a proposal, the union would have 24 hours to accept or reject the proposal. So that meant they had to, the mm. union's contract committee had to review it, then bring it to a general vote of members and have that, back all within 24 hours good luck with that yeah so i mean we love our unions on this program here gabe but i mean yes. that's not that's not happening in 24 hours yeah like the, <laughs> you can't get 1883 people to read the same document yeah within 24 hours um so uh then in the event of a rejection, both parties would have 48 hours to select a third party arbiter to determine a solution that would be amenable and binding to both parties. Okay. So basically if they couldn't agree on anything, yeah. then the parents would have to come in and tell them <laughs> what was what. Um, The yeah, but that's a whole another thing because they would have to find somebody they both agree on to be a the moderator, right? Yeah, and so, that yeah, it was yeah, that doesn't look good. Yeah, the federal negotiators weren't necessarily doing a great job here. No, uh, and that especially the first point that they were bringing up with the immediate cessation of the strike that uh, basically that was just 
asking for a capitulation to the company. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a little bit of a poison pill. It um, is. Especially the first thing you ask is like, is there yeah. a Trump card? Is you pretty much taking that away? Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, I kind of agree with you before what you said. Maybe the government shouldn't always be involved in this kind of bullshit. You know what I mean? It's, Maybe they don't have the worker's best interest in mind at all times. So. Yeah, I'm I'm split on it for this strike at least because there was like I'm not sure that the bakeries would ever actually would have come to the negotiating table without federal pressure. Sure. Yeah, but it is clearly the federal government or the federal negotiators weren't like siding with the union on much. Yeah, they weren't doing too good yeah um the oh uh also during these negotiations the union was willing to concede again on raises and they went from 20 cents which they had already listed as their like rock bottom yeah. offer, uh and they brought that down to 18 and a half You're cents kidding me yep so We've already gone from 30 cents down to 18 and a half because the oh union my. is recognizing that, like, we got to get this done soon before the public turns against us. Uh, I mean, I, I, this whole episode is kind of, I'm kind of like torn, you know, with a lot of things like this because it's like, yeah, I mean, it, you got the public pressure against you, which is massive, but yeah. also you're really cutting out your own feet from under you. Yeah. Constantly. You know, if you go down, I mean, 20 was, I thought was more than enough. Yeah. To go down to, but to go down to 18.5, you said? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. No, it's there. And I'm, it's hard to say whether or not a 30 was their like negotiating offer. Yeah. And their actual goal was closer to 18 and a half or 20, but like, yeah, that's, that could be true too. It's the business tactic. Yeah. But that's still like, if you're a union member who wasn't necessarily involved in those negotiations or discussions. Yeah. And you're like, shit, I could have got 30. Yeah. Then you're seeing in the paper that like every, every day you read about the negotiations and the number you're supposed to be getting keeps going down. Yeah. Um, but, but the, once uh, again, we're armchair unionizing, yeah. whatever you called it. So, I mean, <laughs> at the time, it, you know, the, the pressure was probably pretty massive. Yeah. Uh, you know? And I didn't find any breaks in solidarity that, uh, the one, there were no attempts to bring in scabs, uh, Probably because every other bakery in the city was hiring people left and right to yeah. fill the gap, uh, so they couldn't. They probably couldn't hire scabs anyway. Um, <laughs> okay. Then uh, there was uh, also just a lot of solidarity among the workers, so good. No one was breaking uh, breaking ranks. Um, so the fifty-two man. A contract committee met at 4 p.m. on Saturday, August 17th, to come up with an answer to those four points that the federal uh, conciliators or the federal negotiators uh, suggested. Uh, And they rejected all four of them uh, and determined that they would continue with the strike, um, which they also recognized could put them in the crosshairs for the injunction because Judd Sloan was saying that if the nego- the federal negotiations don't work, then yeah. I'll consider an injunction. Uh, uh, Sloan. Uh, yeah. And uh, Souser, the attorney for the companies, said that it might make it easier for Judge Sloan to decide to order the workers back to their jobs. Oh, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, Judge Sloan was expected to respond on the 19th, which is uh, the Monday after. Um, he accepted the case and started hearing arguments from both sides on August 19th. Uh, the union was arguing that the petition for an injunction should just be thrown out altogether 
because the court had no authority to force the workers back to work uh, one way or the other. Okay. Because this was also in the common pleas court as opposed to a federal district court. Um, I'm not entirely clear why they went to common pleas versus a federal district court because most of the time these injunctions are federal. But I think that was part of the reason why the union was arguing that. All right. Um, I'm... I'm not well versed enough in neither am I game. 1940s labor law to answer that. Uh, and uh, the bosses respond to that with all of their normal arguments that the strike was illegal. Workers yeah. shouldn't be allowed to have voices and they should all just get back to work and stop complaining. All right. Uh, the normal ones. Yeah. The, normal um, shit. the uh, but Judge Sloan surprised me again because instead of actually holding hearings on the legality of the court cases or the strike, uh, Judge Sloan took this as an opportunity to basically act as his, like, as an independent arbiter uh, and force the union and the companies into negotiations. All right. Because uh, he had them there as a captive audience. Because oh. they legally had to be in the courtrooms. Um, Slide dog you. Uh-huh. Uh, so he basically just reopened negotiations. Um, and so in a like side room of the common police court in Philly, uh, they started reopening negotiations. I like that. Uh, first day was August 20th. Uh, they were, it went pretty rough. Uh, after six hours of negotiations, there was no movement. Man. Bosses were still unwilling to budge on sixteen and a half cent or sixteen cent raises. So, even after over a week of striking and like the entire city freaking out because there's no bread, the bosses were still unwilling to give anything more than a pittance in raises. Yeah, that's not and, surprising at yeah. all really so and even after the union had brought down their offer 11 and a half cents that's insane yeah like that's fucking insane. uh so judge sloan cut off the negotiations after six hours and said that uh, both parties had to return at 11 a.m the next day uh, all right additionally uh, they brought in representatives from the international union who were called up to assist with negotiations because at this point it had only been local six. Yeah. Um, but they're probably like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Because uh, they, they still didn't do an official announcement or anything, right? I mean, the international? Yeah, the international didn't, but that like, I'm... I'm unclear as to how much the international actually needed to be involved in this. Okay. Cause it's, especially with my understanding of how the Feder American Federation of labor operated, uh, when it was its own thing, um, that they had a lot of like, uh, independent union in, yeah. or independent local or local union independence. So you'd have, uh, like the international unions couldn't really have that much level of direct enforcement on their locals, but that was also very union to union. Um, most of the time that was used as a way to justify uh, segregation. But, All right. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was still like technically how a lot of these operated where you'd have the international union coordinated efforts across the whole industry, but they couldn't really go and like, yeah, tell, uh, an independent local that they're, they have to go on strike or can't go on strike. Yeah. I don't know if they just had like an official statement of solidarity or support or anything. At least nothing that showed up in the papers. Okay. Um, the, there might've been something in, I think it was the federationist, which was the AFL paper. Uh, uh, but I wasn't able to find anything else. Um, All right. 
unfortunately, they didn't have Twitter or Instagram. So, unfortunately, oh, I, actually, no, you're right. Um, yeah, they're better off. Yeah, the uh, they just had polio instead. So <laughs> those are those are your choices. That was uh, better. Watch out, the... Elon Musk might rename that. Oh God, um, it's gonna be called P now. You got yeah. the P. Uh, one of the announcements of the strike going on or of the strike starting was right next to a little like PSA advertisement about how to avoid polio. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ah, this is the forties. Hey, with all uh, the anti-vax shit, we might need to bring that back in the newspapers. Honestly, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, the attorneys for the bakeries uh, or for the bakery companies uh, were also complaining that the pickets were preventing Teamsters and delivery drivers from making bread deliveries or taking on commissions to deliver bread, uh, which what? they were. Yeah, they were claiming this led to a loss of $100,000 per week in collective wages for uh, the delivery drivers. One, there was no bread being made to deliver. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying to wrap my head around. Did I miss something, Gabe? Did nope. I fall asleep or something? No, nope. there it like it's one of those really nonsense arguments where like you're Man. you're they, causing me to lose out on a theoretical amount of money. They do not want to negotiate, is what no. I'm trying to hear. Yeah. No, they were doing they were throwing everything at the wall yeah. to see what would stick. Um, and also, uh, the pickets never said, or the bakers union never said that they wouldn't allow delivery drivers through the picket line. Uh huh. The delivery drivers said, we're not crossing the picket yeah. line. So it was their own choice. Jesus. Yeah. God. Yeah. No, it, the, I'm, I'm hoping Sloan's a little smarter than that. You can see through I, this bullshit. From what I could tell, he was, because uh, he didn't, like, immediately order an injunction. Um, so, oh, and as a weird just side note in the Inquirer, uh, they noted that this 11-hour negotiated, or the 11-hour-long uh, negotiation period, uh, they sent out someone to buy lunch. All right. Uh, and the lunch that was served was sandwiches on bread. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, they, and this was at, like the Inquirer had put out a whole bunch of stuff about how, what was it? Bunless hot dogs had become popular in the city during the strike. <laughs> um, okay. And what was the other thing? Oh, uh, they started serving a lot of open faced sandwiches. So yeah. you only used one slice of bread. Yeah. But all right. From what I can tell, they were getting both slices of bread at these meetings. So some hoity toity shit. Quality qu quality from the uh, inquiry there though. Mm -hmm. Quality reporting as only always. reporting the most important information. <laughs> <laughs> um now they could have gone to one of the kosher bakeries because they weren't on strike. So true. they could have had a kosher lunch. That that's true. They could have. They probably went to like a kosher bakery to get a uh, loaf of bread and then went to the Italian market to get some prosciutto. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Put that on the nice kosher loaf. Uh, Damn, that sounds good, Gabe. I mean, yeah. Uh, so, finally, uh, oh, yeah. So, uh, negotiations stalled out after 11 hours again. Then. <laughs> Uh, Judge Sloan stuck to his decision that nothing would happen uh, until all possible avenues were exhausted. Then, okay. on Friday, August 22nd, there was some progress. All right. Uh, working with both the Federal Conciliation Service and Judge Sloan, uh, they got a proposal together uh, that they were hoping that they could avoid issuing an injunction. 
So the details of the proposal weren't made publicly available yet, but the union's representatives thought that it was good enough to call in the contract committee to review it, Hmm. which meant that uh, Bowling and the other lead negotiators were willing to at least move the next step in the process. Yeah. Finally. Um, Yeah. Uh, And apparently the contract committee debate over whether or not to accept these proposals was very heated. Uh, Mm. And there were, it was a couple hours of like screaming and yelling at each other. Jesus. Uh, By the end of the meeting, the uh, proposal passed with a margin of 26 to 17 because only 43 members of the committee actually were able to make it. Um, But that's still like, that's a very close margin for what should be. Because what was it? The, I think even the SAG uh, contracts. 43% or something? Well, no, the yeah, SAG contract negotiating committee was, I think, 80%. Oh, yeah. And then that went out to membership and only got uh, this, was it? 30-some, 34-some. Yeah. Um, Well, it was 34, or it was... uh, Just take my hand and lead me through this game. I don't don't remember. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm two beers in. I don't really remember. (laughs) And that was like two weeks ago. I can't remember that far back. Um. We're good at our jobs. We got this, guys. Uh, we got yeah, this. Yeah, Keep listening to us. Good. Yep. Um, okay, so uh, compromise proposal passed, um, and that would go out to a, a vote by general membership to yeah. determine whether or not they would end the strike. So at 3 p.m. on August 23rd, 1946, the members of the Bakery and Confectionery Workers International Union Local Number 6 gathered in the Moose Hall at Broad and Thompson Street to vote on whether to continue the strike. In a two-thirds vote, the members approved the proposal and voted to end the strike. All right. But again, note, they started the strike with a 96% yes vote and that's gone down to a 66% approval of the final contract. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Honestly, not. Uh, so the proposal included an 18 and a half cent per hour raise <laughs> retroactive to August 1st. All right. So that's good at least. Yeah. Um, but the two other points uh, were thrown out. So they would only have a... Uh, five cent bonus for night shifts uh, and they would keep a six day work week. Yeah. Okay. So they, in the end, like, yeah, I don't know. They, they made some progress. Yeah. I mean, they made progress, but I mean, overall, when you look at it, was it 80 years later now? I mean, when you armchair it, it's kind of like, but did you like hinder yourself by, by lowballing so much. I don't think I'm surprised yeah. that the union wasn't like, all right, how about 14 cents an hour? I'm surprised they didn't go yeah. lower than what they were actually being paid, you know? Yeah. And then and they, they needed some, I don't know. I mean, we were in the middle of the, all that shit happening, but they needed a new bargaining committee. Yeah. Now I do think the, uh, one of the things that they were probably trying to do, or cause this, contract was only effective for a year um damn all that for a one-year contract well i think that was on purpose though because then they knew that they could build support over oh the next okay year. so they can leapfrog off it yeah okay um but there again hindsight comes back and there was a certain bill that got passed in 1947 uh uh-huh. that would then get used to have lots more injunctions and uh, would kind of signal the beginning of the end for the New Deal era labor movement. Mm. 
so yeah, they they didn't predict Taft Hartley or yeah. Hartley Taft. Uh, <laughs> Nobody expects the Taft Hartley Act. Yeah. Um, which like there, there was no way that they could have known. Yeah. Um, I mean, and they were still doing their best. Um, but the, I wanted this to be a cheerier episode. (laughs) Gabe, that's every single episode you try to do, man. I know. Uh, this and yeah, you got to find like some little snippet of this story where like it ends in someone getting married on the picket line again. Yeah. Well, he did, uh, Raymond Bowling did announce that, uh, everyone who served on picket duty would get paid because uh, they opened up this $60,000 strike fund that they had. All right. Um, so, uh, and actually everybody probably came out of it with pretty much at least breaking even because they were not only picking up other work uh, at all of the small shops, uh, but then also doing picket line duty. Yeah. So it was like overall, overall we came out. Okay. Yeah, um, I guess so. And the bakery and confectioners workers union, uh, is now BCTGM, mm-hmm. the bakery confectionery, tobacco and grain millers. Yeah. I think like yeah. tasty cake. I think they're still, yeah. they're still at union. Yep. Uh, and like Kellogg's, mm-hmm. yeah, it was Kellogg's that was on strike. Uh, and yeah, so the union's still around. Yeah. Um, oh, good. But, well, they survived. Yeah. Sloan's probably still around somewhere fucking, fucking with something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he keeps surprising us. I know. He's going to be the guest in our next episode. <laughs> I was, and like. Philly judges, especially in this period, they they were very anti-union. Yeah. Like, because there were a lot of instances where, like, we'd have a somewhat, I don't want to say progressive mayor, but, like, he wasn't at the point of immediately just calling out the National Guard to yeah. kill strikers. Oh. Uh, but... As I said, Gabe, the, the bar is so low I know. for some people that we're so that we're so surprised when, <laughs> yeah. when people act like normal human beings. But like Philly judges in this period, they were almost always really bad. So I was very impressed by Sloan. So like that's that's my one positive thing to come out of this. All right, we'll come out of with that. That we had, I wouldn't say a friend, but not an enemy <laughs> in the courts. Honestly, sometimes it's the same thing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was the 1946 Baker's Strike. I like it. Or the Bread Strike. It or was the good. Bread Strike. It was good. I like it. Yeah. I mean, ups and downs, over and outs, but I mean, uh, God damn. They need, they, they, they need a new bargaining committee on that union. Yeah. I think yeah. they uh, they were probably a little bit too conciliatory to the bread industry as a whole too. Yeah. That, but then like, then you also get into the whole thing of like, if you try and shut down the whole industry, then you will end up starving the city. So you don't want to do that, Gabe. No, I learned that people tend to get a little, little angry. Um, Yeah. But, but but I mean they were fighting eight companies. Yeah, that's true too. Like I mean, they took on a, they took on a lot of power there. They did. So I mean, and, we can give them some shit. But I mean, I think yeah. I think they came out on the other end okay. Yeah, you know they uh well they did more than we're doing right now. So I mean <laughs> <laughs> we're telling their story, Gabe. Can we do? Uh, well, before I put my foot in my further in my mouth, in my uh, mouth, Gabe, come on, in all of our mouths. Oh, Jesus. Uh, if you like that, play us out, Sam. Oh, no. Is this the beginning of our OnlyFans? You can't blame the you. You can't fool the you. 
You can't fool 